You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. We set up our Christmas decorations last week. It's kind of a tradition that we have you know, after Thanksgiving uh, as soon as possible. Get the decorations up and the kids love it. And this year was kind of special for my wife because she kind of inherited this nativity set from from her grandmother that she didn't need anymore, and so it's coming to our house. And you know, nativity sets people put them on their mantelpieces, and, and it's got you know, baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the manger, and it's all well and good. This nativity set, though, it's got to be like the world's most ultimate nativity set. It's got the the regular players, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and there's like a shepherd and. But then there's like 25 or 30 other pieces. They come in this giant gallon Ziploc bag that her grandma stored them in. And there's like this guy with a garden hoe and this, I don't know, this little girl uh, chasing a ball and a little boy with a dog. And there's this five dudes with beards that just standing off in the corner. And you got this guy holding a basket of fruit. I mean, it's like one of those Ocean's Eleven movies. Everybody's in it. Everybody's in this this nativity set. Um I like the nativity. I like the idea of the nativity. I like to see them sit outside of people's houses. and um, It depicts this quiet, peaceful night. That's the picture we get when we think about the nativity. Maybe, uh, maybe you, you're not real familiar with the Christmas story, but I think that a lot of us learned it from Linus on Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And he comes that out and, and he tells the story. and It's this serene, beautiful, peaceful night. And, and that's, that's a true story. It's what happened the, the first Christmas when Jesus came to earth, when God made himself a human baby. But did you know there is another telling of the Christmas story in the Bible? Yeah, the one I just described is from Matthew and Luke, but there's actually another entirely different version of the story. And it's not something that I'm like making up or I'm pulling out of thin air. It's actually, it's been in the Bible the whole time, and it's in the very last book of the New Testament. And I want to start out today just by, just by checking out that story in chapter 12 of Revelation. Revelation, last book in the Bible. Uh, Revelation is a book of the Bible written by the Apostle John. It was a vision that he saw where God pulled back the veil of of heaven and the spiritual realm and just showed him uh, a multitude of things. And so um, that's what he saw, and he wrote it down in the book that we know as Revelation. And so we're going to be checking out this really cool telling of the Christmas story from the book of Revelation. If you've got a Bible today, if you'll turn there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's cool. We, uh, we actually give them away for free. Maybe you have one that's uh, difficult to read or um, because it's an, an old English version of the Bible or, or one that's just uh, fall to pieces. Make sure you grab a Bible before you leave today. We've got them underneath the chairs there uh, in, the, in the room and also there's some back there by the coffee. One of our volunteers could hook you up. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 12, 1 through 5. Check this out. It says, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. 
And it continues in verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. And the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who led the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. I don't know about you, but I have never seen this particular version of the Christmas story on someone's mantelpiece in a nativity scene. Not, no, not once. I've never seen uh, the made-for-TV Hallmark movie special uh, about this particular version of the Christmas story. However, uh, a seven-headed dragon would make a pretty sweet addition to anybody's nativity set. Yet, from everything we know about Jesus and his purpose on earth, it really adds up. There's an author named Philip Yancey. He wrote a book called The Jesus uh, I Never Knew, and uh, it's, he says this about this concept. He says, It's almost beyond my comprehension, too. And yet I accept that this notion is the key to understanding Christmas and is, in fact, the touchstone of my faith. As a Christian, I believe in parallel worlds, one world consisting of hills and lakes and barns and politicians and shepherds watching over their flock by night, and the other consists of angels and sinister forces. The picture we get in Revelation of the first Christmas is of a child born, a dragon attacking, a woman escaping, and the story continues like this. You go all the way down to verse 17 of Revelation chapter 12. It says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Christians. For the next few weeks, I want to go on a journey with you. We'll be taking a look at Christmas, but from a few different vantage points, some new angles. I want to call this story, and it's been done before, this this series, uh, The Untold Stories of Christmas. And today, I want to tell you one of the untold stories of Christmas, and that is that Christmas is a war story. It's a war story. In fact, the first ever Christmas was like a spiritual D-Day. Any history buffs in the house? I love history. I love, right now, I'm actually reading a biography on John Adams. Yeah, it's like on my bedside table, I read it every night. And my friends are like, who does that? Like, what are you, in school or something? Like, why are you reading a biography on John Adams? But I just love history. I think it teaches us so much about humankind, and, uh, and it's just fun to hear the stories. And one of the most pivotal events in modern history was known as D-Day. D-Day is how it's become known to us. And if... If you don't know your World War II history, let me fill you in. Basically, here's what's going on. There was a group of people, there was this, this evil regime called the Nazis, and the, the Nazis had overtaken most of Europe. There was this mighty juggernaut, and I, it looked like there was no way for them to be stopped. But a group of nations called the Allied Forces, America was part of it, decided that they were going to launch a surprise attack at a beachhead on the coast of France, a place called Normandy. And from this place, they'd be able to fight, and they'd be able to push back the Nazi forces, and and that's what happened on D-Day. They attacked that beach to secure the starting point for taking back Europe. That was June 6, 1944. And thousands and thousands of Allied forces stormed the beach that day. They parachuted in from planes. They rushed the beach from boats. About 2,500 soldiers died that day. It was a brutal battle. They won the beach, and they gained control of the beachhead, and that was the beginning of the end 
for the Nazis. Now, the war lasted for almost a full year after that, and it was a brutal, terrible, terrible war. But eventually, Hitler would be defeated, and the Nazis would be won, and Europe would be liberated. An untold story of Christmas is that Christmas Day was spiritual D-Day. That Christmas is a war story. I want to just clarify here for a second. Um, you know, when you, when you talk about war and Christianity in the same sentence, a lot of bad images pop into my head. A lot of terrible things have been done in the name of religion, even and especially Christianity. And this is not what that's about. This is not endorsing that. God is a God of, of, of peace, especially through the love of Jesus and um, the things that are done in the name of Christianity and other religions are often abomination. But we're talking about something completely different here. That's a physical war. This is about a spiritual war in the spiritual realms. See, the world had been conquered by an evil force. Darkness filled the hearts of mankind. Our sin had separated us from God. Sin was this mighty spiritual juggernaut, and it looked like there was no way to stop it. If you've ever battled with an addiction or a temptation that seemed impossible for you to resist, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's this powerful force that takes over. And so God, looking over the situation, he chose the only way that he could liberate us. He made himself a human, and like a paratrooper, he jumped in, and oddly enough, he came as a baby. Actually, that's part of the untold story that we're going to talk about a little bit later. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks, but as a lone soldier, Jesus stormed the beach. Bethlehem was the beachhead. The Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation that we read from earlier, the Apostle John, he also wrote a shorter book called 1 John. Check out how he describes the mission of Jesus. This is from 1 John 3.8. He says, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. I don't know if you believe in the devil, but Jesus did. He talked about him all the time. And looking at all the evil in the world, it's not hard to imagine a source of evil in the world, such as Satan or the devil. Evil had conquered the world. And Jesus was the one man special operations force that came in to take it back. You know, every great battle has a battle plan. Dwight D. Eisenhower was the 34th president of the United States. Uh, he famously said this about uh, battle plan or strategy. He said, in preparation for battle, I have always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. Because maybe the enemy will throw a curveball, and you've got you to course correct on the fly, but you don't go in unprepared. My kids, they plan attacks on me all the time. We're not violent people, but I'm convinced that my kids are just naturally programmed like samurai knights. Everything becomes a sword or a gun or a booby trap in their hands, and you know, who better to unload all that aggression on than me, dear old dad. So I'm sitting in the room watching, uh, you know, football or whatever, and they've recently begun to, uh, they, they, they kind of get together in one of each other's rooms, and they'll draw out a battle strategy. I recently found this. Here it is up on the screen. Uh, this is a battle strategy that I discovered that they had drawn up for me. You see my, like, my little stick figure itself? And, and when I explain the battle in a second, you'll understand exactly that this actually makes a lot of sense. See how I got a frowny face? I guess because I'm going to lose. Um, and so they come in, and so there was this moment I'm sitting there watching TV, minding my own business, and, our, and my son runs into the room, and literally the battle cry that he screams out is this. This is their battle strategy. 
Savannah, you get the left side and I'll get the right side. That was it. That was the battle plan. That was the strategy. Uh, she got the left side. He got the right side. And uh, I beat them. I mean, I beat their tails. They can't beat me. I'm big. But I mean, yet, one day, they'll probably be able to beat me. You never thought about Christmas as a battle strategy. I'm guessing. Probably not. That'd be weird. And the, the Christmas cards say, you know, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Um, but really? It was. That night that we caught the Christmas story was like the first wave of a brilliant plan. And it wasn't what anyone thought or would think it would be. You might think if, if God were going to wow the world, he'd come as a powerful military leader. Or, or maybe he'd come as some great uh, king or political leader. In fact, some people who met Jesus, they urged him to become military commander or to take up arms to lead uh, the, the, the Jewish people against overcoming the Roman Empire and all in God's name. But Jesus said, no, 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 that's not the plan. That's not the strategy. Others wanted to make him king. Jesus wasn't having that. Be clear, Jesus could have had that. But that wasn't the plan. It wasn't the strategy. What was the strategy? Here's Jesus' strategy. According to one of the greatest military leaders in all of history, Napoleon Bonaparte, Napoleon said this about Jesus. He said his strategy, and it's so true. This is what he said. He said, Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself, we have forged great empires. But upon what did these creations depend? Upon force. And Jesus alone founded his empire upon love. And to this very day, millions will die for him. Jesus founded his empire on love. On love. Jesus' strategy was, and it still is, love. Not force, not swords, not cannons, not planes, not bombs, not guns, not kings, not laws. Love. In love, he would humble himself. And his status as Almighty God, in love, he would come to earth as a human baby, in love. Jesus' strategy was a daring raid of love to establish himself as the capital of each person's heart. And check this out, the only blood that he was willing to shed was his own. That was his strategy. That was his battle plan. Jesus knew that the territory to be taken back was not geographical. It was, it was here. It was the human heart. The enemy had entrenched himself, not in bunkers or in barbed wire, but deep in the human heart. And this, right here, the human heart was the territory that God had come to fight for, to reclaim. Not our physical heart, but our allegiance, our loyalty, our service, our worship, ultimately our love back to him. Jesus was God in human form, and he came to defeat the enemy that was battling for our heart. The enemy, the devil, evil spiritual forces, and even our own sin. Those things, they, they cause, they lead to spiritual death. And God, who is holy, he can't be with sin. And he knows that. See, Christmas, spiritual D-Day, it's a war story. Christmas is a war story. All right, okay, so there's all that. There's everything I just said. Christmas is a war story. If you're like me, I'm a little bit cynical. I hear things like that. Somebody lays out some uh, grandiose idea, and I just go, okay, so 
That's interesting. But so what? So what? Why does it matter? What does this untold story of Christmas as a war story have to do with me? And um, so what I'd like to do in the time that we have left is just to take a look at three reasons that this matters to me. Like as I read it personally, it hits me in a few special places in my brain. And I want to tell you why it's important to me. And I hope that it'll also be, also be important to you. And so I'm going to call these the three so what's of Christmas as a war story. So what's. So let's just jump into them, all right? There's three. The first one is this. The first one, the first so what is if Christmas is a war story or if there's a war, choose a side. So what is a war? Choose a side. Listen to what Jesus says along these lines here in Matthew 12, verse 30. He says, whoever's not with me is against me. It's Jesus' words. Those are war words. I know this totally goes against the plurality uh, that our culture is so big on. Um, the idea that everyone has the right to believe what they want to believe and do what they want to do. And no one has a right to tell them anything else other than that. And Jesus, though, knows something that we don't know. He knows that the spiritual enemy is real. Jesus recognizes the battle. And he was saying, this is war. And he's waging it on our behalf. But there's no neutrality. Whoever's not with me is against me. You might remember that in World War I or also in World War II, Switzerland was famously uh, neutral. They never picked a side. It was kind of like they're saying, I'm not saying I'm in favor of communism or of Adolf Hitler. I'm just saying I'm not a fan of being thrown in concentration camps or killed. So I'd rather kind of ride the fence on this one. And you can kind of not blame them, but on the other side, you're like, come on, stand up for something, right? Neutrality. There are a lot of people in our world who remain spiritually neutral. Like the battle is raging all around, and they're just willing to ride the fence. Not pick a side. I really, I know people like this, friends of mine, they're, they're, they're kind of like, I, you know, I kind of like the morality of Christianity. I kind of like the family values parts of it. I like the community part. I'm just saying, I don't like to feel like somebody's telling me how to live. Because I kind of like doing what I want to do. And a lot of those things are things that Jesus says that I shouldn't do. I kind of like sinful stuff. I kind of like lying and cheating. It kind of makes life easier sometimes. And I kind of like getting high. And I kind of like getting drunk. And I kind of like sleeping with my girlfriend and my boyfriend. And I kind of like losing my temper when someone cuts me off in traffic and cussing them out. I kind of like a lot of the stuff that Jesus says that I shouldn't do, so I'm just going to ride the fence on this one. But when it comes to Jesus, there is no neutrality. You can't just believe in God in general, like don't hurt anyone, and, and then just hope that everything else will work out. Jesus said, no, you're either with me or you're against me. There's no gray area. There's a war. Choose a side. Now, here's the deal. I realize this um, because we, 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 we hope for this. We intentionally plan for this. That uh, there are people in this room today that maybe you're new to God, new to church. It might be your very first time. You just came because you came with a friend and you're just kind of checking out, you know, church for one reason or the other. And, and, and this whole idea is like, hold up. Like, I don't, I'm not really ready to get into what you just talked about, uh, picking a side. Like, I'm not even sure that there is a God. That might be you. You also might be someone who has been a Christian for a while. Or you've been coming to church for a while. And I think that both of you are 
though you might have things different in the way that you think, you also have this in common, and it's something that I also have in common is this. Uh, you go, well, picking a side sounds like a big task because I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be capable of, of measuring up. I don't think that I could be perfect. Well, you know what? There's really good news. There's super good news, in fact. God understands that learning to be with him is a process. He's not waiting for us to be perfect. He's just waiting for us to choose a side. He says, look, I can teach you a better way. I can heal your brokenness. I can heal your heart, but not while you're riding the fence. Choose a side. So if you are just checking out Christianity or you're just visiting church today, please know that God is totally fine with the process. See, we often, we don't want to rush people. We don't want to push people, but don't confuse our unwillingness to pressure people as a lack of urgency. There's definitely an urgency because there is a war. Our goal is that every Sunday that anyone who's in this room who hasn't yet said, uh, I will say to Jesus that day, yes, I'm in right now. I'm in. I choose you, Jesus. I choose to be with you. I choose Jesus. I'm choosing size. A week ago, we went back with Nathaniel as we walked back to the pool as he said yes to Jesus and he was baptized. And let me just be straight. Some of you need to say yes to Jesus this morning. And if that's you and you're ready, I mean, come, come talk to me after service. Go speak to one of the volunteers that's standing at the coffee area. Just find someone that looks nice and, and you will think you want to talk to them. Like, hey, I'm thinking about becoming a Christian. I want to, I want to talk about that. And then they might be like, um, I don't know, but talk to that guy. You know, start the conversation. There's a war. Choose a side. Will you please let somebody know today? That's the first so what. I said there were three so what's. That's the longest of the three. So what? There's a war. Choose a side. Here's the second so what. The second so what is this. There's a war. So gear up. Gear up. Let me explain. Uh, if there's a war and you're going to choose Jesus, then you need to know some things. The enemy is real. And the Bible says the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, lion seeking for people to devour Take a look at the places of your life that are far from God and just ask yourself a simple question. Do you feel it? Do you feel the attack? You might be numb to it. Sometimes we get so deep in that we just don't even notice it anymore. But it might also be driving you crazy. A lot of people become Christians. And then they're surprised when they start to notice the war raging on around them. They become Christians and they say, I don't understand why I'm being so tempted I don't understand why things are going wrong in my life. I don't understand why my marriage is so difficult. I don't understand why my job is so difficult. Why raising kids is so difficult. You know what happens? That what, that's what happens when you're in a war. There's an enemy. And he's going to try to bring us down. He wants to take you out. But you don't have to live in fear. Jesus lost the offensive on spiritual D-Day and you're not alone. He's not leaving you hanging. The book of James in the Bible uh, says this. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So what? There's a war. Gear up. Gear up. Ephesians chapter 6 is one of my favorite uh, sections of the Bible, especially that last part, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 uh, and following. We're going to read through that. And this is a huge area of the Bible that teaches us about how to gear up. The first part starts like this. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. There, there's a fight. It's not a fight against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And you can't fight a spiritual battle without spiritual tools, strategies, weapons. That's why number two, so what, is there's a war. Gear up. Gear up means get the gear you need to make it through. Check out the gear we've been given and see how you can use it. And so we're going to read the rest of Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 14, to get a big chunk of teaching on the spiritual gear that we can gear up with for this war. It says this first. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. We're going to break this up kind of sentence by sentence and look at all the pieces of spiritual armor that we can wear. The first one is this, truth. Truth. Truth is, is light that shines in darkness. I think that truth is the opposite of lies. Truth is also light. Lies is darkness. How do you eradicate darkness? Well, for me, I get out that little sweet LED flashlight on my, uh, my iPhone, and I, and I turn it on, and I shine it in the bottom of my closet so I can find my shoes. That's how I eradicate darkness. I shine light into darkness, and then so many things are revealed. That's what truth does to lies, and that's why the first piece of our spiritual armor is truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth, Jesus says. And so girding ourselves with truth goes a long way in helping us ourselves as we as we fight through this spiritual battle and it continues he says the belt of truth buckle around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place you know this this idea of a breastplate is, is a major part of most battle armor uh in ancient times of course there was breastplate that the soldiers would wear but even today we wear these bulletproof uh vests that our soldiers wear and it protects all your vital organs but i love that the breastplate uh, in our spiritual battle is a breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is the state of being right or, or having rightness by God's standards. It's doing what you're supposed to do. I got two kids, and, and when they're doing what they're supposed to do, they stay out of trouble. There's a reason why sin is a problem. Because we're not doing what we're supposed to do. We're not living the way God designed us and instructed us to carry ourselves. And so that's part of our spiritual battle, armor, righteousness, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. The third one is this, and it's kind of a mouthful, but I want to explain it. It says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Feet fitted with the readiness. Uh, I'm going to change this whole phrase uh, I got here on my feet right here. One of these things on my feet. Shoes, right? Shoes, and so feet fitted with, let's just call them shoes. Let's call them the shoes of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace is the good news. The gospel means good news. The good news that Jesus is fighting this war with us. The good news that we can have peace in God. There's so much teaching on peace. But the thing about shoes is that they make you mobile. I'm able to move from one place to the other without stepping on glass or pine cones. Or I went out last night to, uh, to help uh, my buddy out in my shed. And I was walking out with just socks on, stepped right on a pine cone. That thing hurt. If I had had shoes on, I would have been much more protected as I walked in the darkness. And that's what happens with having our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace because we can move through this battle smoothly, mobily, without fear because we have the peace of God. 
And there's so much more I can say about peace, but the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And then it says, in addition to all this, we've got three more. It says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Faith is knowing that God is who he says he is and he will do what he's promised he will do. So as the enemy shoots at us, as you get scared, it's faith that he can protect you, that we can hide behind like a shield. It's standing behind the promises that we've seen fulfilled for generations and generations by those that have gone before us. Sometimes we look and we just don't see where God is moving. And the best thing we can do is look back and see where God has already moved. It can act like a shield of faith that as we're feeling these attacks, as temptation does come, as jobs are hard, as parenting and and, and spousing, (laughs) having a husband or wife is difficult, we can stand behind the shield of faith and it protects us from the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then the last two, it says this, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet of salvation, every good soldier has a helmet. It gives you the confidence to run into battle. And the thing about God's salvation is it says, you know, if you come to me, if you confess that Jesus is is the Christ and the Son of God and you want to live for him, I will save you. And you can wear that knowledge of salvation like a helmet as you run through the battles. And it will keep you bold and it will keep you focused knowing that no matter what happens, you're in the right place. The helmet of salvation, and then it says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Every good soldier needs a, a sword or an offensive weapon. For us, it's the Word of God. It's this, my Bible. This is the closest uh, and, and purest collection of the words of God that we have access to. And we can pull it out and we can fight with it. Memorizing scripture, reading the Bible is the greatest way to fight against spiritual forces. Even Jesus himself, if you know the story where Jesus was out in the wilderness and he was being tempted by the devil himself. The devil comes to him and he says things like, Jesus, you hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. Why don't you turn that stone into a piece of bread? Why don't you do that? Just use your miraculous powers just to do that and break, break this fast that you've been, uh, you've been so committed to. And you know what Jesus does? Does he, does, he, does he like sucker punch the devil in the forehead? Does he kick him uh, in the leg? What does he do? How does he fight back to the devil? He quotes scripture. He says, it's written that man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is fighting back with the word of God. And just so you know, the devil, the devil actually quoted scripture back to Jesus. A lot of times the evil forces know our weapon better than we do which is why it's so important for us to be in the Word of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, the uh, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit. And with this, we can take a stand against the devil's schemes. We're in a war. So what? To choose a side. So what? Gear up. So what number three starts with a question. If this is a war, it's a simple question. Are you retreating or are you advancing? Christmas was D-Day for the greatest spiritual strategy of all time. Jesus' mission was a mission of love. That was his strategy. It was and it continues to be his strategy. And if we're going to be on his side, then we have to be on his mission. Here's number three very clearly. Number three is this. So what? Number three 
Advance the mission of love. Advance the mission of love. God didn't call you. He didn't save you just so that you could go to heaven. Yeah, that's awesome. He wants us to go to heaven. But he also called you and saved you so that you could join his war effort to liberate people from the clutches of the enemy. There are people all around every day in your places of business, in your school, in your neighborhood, maybe even in your own home. And they're being fooled by the enemy. They're living as subjects of their lies. So what? Keep advancing the mission of love. Don't retreat. Keep advancing and growing in your heart for God. It's a process. You don't have to be perfect right now. God will continue to purify you. But keep advancing. Pray. Read the Bible. Worship. Be it small group. Grow in your heart for God. Keep advancing. Grow in your heart for people. Serve the hurting people in your community. Sacrifice comfort for cause. Keep advancing. Consistently show people godly character and God's way of love that melts their heart and draws them to Him. Keep advancing. That's so one of our three core goals here at Venture Church is that we be love agents. We want to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. And I loved being part of Love Agent Week back at the end of the summer. We had a different challenge every day for people to love people with the love of Jesus in ways that they might not have already decided to do that. All of our small groups have been asked to serve uh, at least once per serving per, per semester. And it was really cool. I think it was uh, yesterday when uh, I heard that one of the small groups went out to Nourish and See to, to help pack bags for the Nourish and See program. And, and, and it's, it's so awesome. We've got this food drive going on right now so we can bring food to help feed the hungry children. But it's not just so that kids can have food and so that people can feel like you know, life could be a little bit better. No, we, we use these as entry points for conversation to love people with the love of Jesus. The battle strategy is a strategy of love, and Jesus calls us to it. i got to ask you, how are you intentionally loving people? Is there someone who's driving you crazy? Don't cuss them out. Love them. Serve them. If it gets hard, good. This is war. It gets hard. You may have to deal with terrible resistance, but with the armor of God that you're geared up with, advance God's mission of love. It's the love God taught us through Jesus. Love wins hearts and points them to God. And if you do this consistently throughout your life, when you get to the end of the life, you can say, like Paul did. Paul was a guy who actually used to hate Christians and actually murdered them. He turns out to be one of the greatest Christian missionaries, probably the greatest Christian missionary to ever live, wrote most of the New Testament. He said this to his friend Timothy in the letter he wrote, 2 Timothy 4.7. He says, I have fought the good fight. It's like he's saying, I, I, the end of my life is here, and I can feel good about what happened because I was on the right side, and I fought the good fight. The battle was waged with love for people's hearts. And then right after that, in verse 8, he writes, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me to that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Advance the mission of love, guys. Choose a side. Gear up and advance the mission of love. Christmas was spiritual D-Day. And an untold story of Christmas is that Christmas is a war story. But the love of God shown through a baby, it would lead to the liberation of everyone who calls on his name. Let's pray. God, I thank you today for the opportunity to love you. The chance that you took on us to come down as a baby so that you could set us free.
And today, if there are people in the room uh, who are just hearing this for the first time, I pray that you will soften their heart and give them the opportunity to grow, uh, whether it just be by coming back one more time and make friends. Um, Help us be a people that advances the mission of love, that we're geared up for this fight because we've chosen a side. We pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.